Welcome to The Queer Bean, a podcast about the art and business and joy and struggles of creating a queer media empire. I'm Alicia. And I'm Christina. And each episode, we're going to dive into the process of creating awesome content for awesome queers. This week, we're talking about creating three-dimensional characters from concept to writing to direction, which is actually one of my favorite parts of writing is figuring out who people are and creating them and plopping them in really interesting worlds and just seeing what they have to do and what they have to say. What about you, Christina? Yeah, I I feel like we talk a lot about um, character development or lacking of character development when we see it. It's it's usually something that's very obvious when you're watching the show and you're like, I don't connect to this person. Why? Why does it seem like they're more of a cardboard cutout than a human? And so I love getting into the intricacies of like, how do you make that a full human? You know, what I, I will personally, before writing something, try to think of all the likes and dislikes of that person, you know, the nuances, their, what their struggles have been, anything that you could kind of think of to give them enough backstory that an actor can come in and really work with that. Um, and as an actor as well, when there's a lot of character development in writing or I can work a backstory with a writer or a director, it just helps a lot for your own job. I mean, actors will always kind of fill in blanks and try to create if there's something lacking, but it always helps if if it's already in the writing. And now that's the tricky part too, is how do you put it, put that into the writing without like a bunch of exposition? You know, your characters are not just going to start a scene and go, hi, my name is Humphrey and I'm, my father was murdered when he was five, unless it's a journal entry like that woman. But Typically, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I had to throw that in there. But typically, we don't get to just use such, you know, simple or lazy devices to tell a story about our character's journey. We have to kind of hide it into the dialogue, into their actions, into things that they do. And that's where you toe the line between, again, you know, kind of just putting it all on some narrative or a big backstory that you tell at the beginning of an episode or in a movie and just kind of trying to make it more of a full thing that you could see it in everything a character does um so like layering it basically yeah from the moment the character comes on screen right we don't have to know every single thing about that person right just enough so that you as the audience you as the person watching this are interested in who this person is and then as the story continues you get to add a little bit more and a little bit more but i want to talk about specifically what is that little bit more like what does it mean to be a three-dimensional character versus a cardboard cutout of a character what do you think? Right. I mean, <clears throat> knowing what a character wants, um, like having them have, so we all just as people, you know, we have things that we desire and things that we're trying to get and 
things that we fear, you know, these basic principles that make us who we are. Um, sometimes I find a character flat when I can't tell at any point, like what's driving them Mm -hmm. or, you know, or what scares them away from what's driving them. You know, it's like that basic kind of what's that hero's journey. If you don't know that, or if it feels like that hasn't fully been flushed out, you could kind of tell it's, it's almost like they're just empty shells of a character. So it's like a difference between, so we have the plot of the movie, right? Um, This character wants a thing and they're going to go get the thing and they're going to experience obstacles on their way to getting the thing and it gets really hard and uh, yay they get the thing of course there's a huge you know battle before then right and they get the (laughs) thing and then the story is over right Right. that's the basic plot of of every story yay welcome to story structure that's literally the basic (laughs) every every single story but when you don't have a three-dimensional character it really is person a does this right you can slot anyone into that role and it's irrelevant to the story whereas for me if you've built a three-dimensional character then i feel like only this person who i'm meeting in this story could be going through these experiences now me as an audience member i may be i can relate to what they're doing but the, yeah. both the plot and who that person is need to be connected in some way. You know, they, they can't be divorced from one another. And the way that you keep them from being divorced from one another is, like you said, what are this person's desires? Yeah. What do they want? But more than what do they want, why do they want it? Yeah. What is the motivation behind what they're trying to achieve. Who do they know? Who are the important people um, in their lives? What are these other relationships um, that are built, that you as a writer are going to build around these people? How do they interact with one another? Things like that. It's just kind of like the difference between characters and like tropes you know mm-hmm. they're, like the mean girl in a in a show in her movie who just has her little posse she says a few like horrible digs at some other high school girl who's the lead character and just like nice outfit and they all giggle and she walks away and you never I'm really know burn right, nice right. Outfit. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> well i've actually played one of the mean girls in a posse before <laughs> when i was on a horrible that was horrible it? show Los Teens Becky, what is it yeah <laughs> Becky is that pregnant no yes, See, Becky is that yeah. pregnant yeah so that was one character and the other thing they had me do was stand next to some girl in the bathroom and just be like ah, right <laughs> like basically I would just be like yeah and I would roll my eyes and just like giggle and do the you know do the whole diss yeah um, yeah and those characters very rarely you know in, in a in poorly written shows, they just, that's all they are. You right. never know, why is the mean girl mean? Why is she mean to her in particular? No, it's just like, she's she's pretty and she's mean. And that's, she's yeah. your insecurity. And Oof. that's all you need to know. Well, I exactly. Mean, let's take the mean girl character, for example. How do you take the archetype of the mean girl character and turn her 
into a three-dimensional character? How would you do this? This is not a pop quiz, I promise. <laughs> it always is. No. <laughs> well, I would start trying to show maybe what are, you know, like with any bully kind of character, you know, usually there's some kind of insecurity um, rooted in there. So I would try to flush out like, okay, so what are their insecurities? What are they so afraid of that they're essentially pushing people away and trying to achieve some kind of status where all people do is look at the flaws of others and not at their own. So what you have to do is write out what are the, their flaws? What are the things that they see as their flaws and that they're afraid of? And that way, if you start flushing that stuff out, you could slow release it. Just like how we were talking about layering, you know, you could just have an episode where it's like, oh, you find out, like, I don't know, that uh, pff, she was bullied when she was very little or something when she or you know her mom never picked her up from daycare i don't know there's always something right that starts like the thing and or it doesn't have to be a girl at school but she's actually in foster care right right there you go like there's something else going on and yeah. that starts becoming the dimensions that where we're like oh there's more to this person than them just being hollow and mean because no one is just mean in everyone's life either like throw in another relationship that we get to see have mm -hmm. you know like how the mean girl acts with her foster sister or just someone else like maybe they're like she's her little sister's hero and she's just always there for her and is always spending her time protecting her or making sure that she stays out of trouble and you know high school is like where she can burn that steam and just put people down because she doesn't have that kind of control in her personal life you know start getting psychological yes <laughs> that's yes. just do unravel we contain them multitudes right yeah. as, as humans we contain multitudes so allow your characters to contain multitudes as well none yeah. of us are just one thing we, right. we might be you know one thing with one person and another thing with another person that exactly. is also a part of creating a three-dimensional character like you were explaining yeah. who are these people with the different people in their lives how do they interact with these people versus how they're interacting with the main character or if they are the main character you know how do their relationships with other people reflect, let's say, you know, whatever the theme is of the episode or of the film that's, right. that's happening? Yeah, I typically, like, I love, I love a three-dimensional villain. Ooh, I love that. Yes, yes, I love when it's like, when you struggle to hate the character you're supposed to hate. And you, yeah. you, where you start justifying things that they're doing, even when it's like, oh, that's really messed up. But at the same time, though, like... I feel like I want to, for me, with a villain, I want to understand why they are right. doing it. So I yeah. don't need to justify their behavior, right. but I do want to understand like why that person is breaking these rules or yeah. doing whatever it is that they're doing that I don't agree with. I'm like, yeah, that's fucked up what they're doing, but I get yeah. it. Totally yeah. Totally get it. From Ex their perspective, I totally right. get why they want to ruin the world. Like it makes <laughs> Right. Which is what makes a perfect like a great character and a great villain. Yeah. Because Again, it's if you create these tropes where it's just good guy, bad guy, that's so boring. What who it wants really to is. watch that? No one especially 
good characters, quote unquote, characters who are just that vanilla, like, oh, just never do anything wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I just help, you know, old women carry groceries. And, you know, it's like, yeah. that person come on, show. Exist. Right. I need to see the darkness, too. Just like how in villains, you need to see all all of what got them there. You need to see. I love a good anti-hero. Like, I love someone who isn't just, it's not about that they're the right person or they're such a good person. It's like, no, it shows you all of the flaws that make them the right person for it, for whatever the struggle is. Because we need to see both. We need to see when they shine and their good moments, but we need to see their dark side and I mean I love to anytime when a character surprises me and this is why character development is important because you can save these little nuggets Mm -hmm. you know it's like when you're watching a character and then slowly they start getting darker and you're like what's what is this little hint of dark side here what is this little twist but here's the problem in that same twist sorry (laughs) yeah in that same turn in that same turn if you don't develop that character, that's when it seems weird when your character suddenly jumps from being a certain way to another way and, and it, it seems unjustified. Are you talking about Khaleesi? I mean, I mean, just wondering. Yeah, like when a whole show seems very on the nose, (laughs) right? When a yeah, it's when an entire series paints a character a certain way and specifically develops them a certain way, and then suddenly just jumps to another type of character. It's hard to resonate with that because that's what doing something out of character is like that phrase when something just seems so it's weird yeah it takes you out of it all of a sudden you're watching a narrative that you have poured your heart into and then you're like uh what that's when you stop watching episodes of things i mean this is happening to me with several shows where it's like okay you know it's like season three of a show that's gone on too long or something and all the characters start behaving in a way that doesn't make any sense and you're just like Mm, a little turned off and you're turned off because you're invested in these people's journeys and all of a sudden it's lazy to not give us a reason people can change you know but show us the change don't just suddenly be like oh and now they're murderers that's it (laughs) uh why i don't know because we wanted it to be exciting (laughs) yeah don't do things just for for shock Shock. value Mm. i hate that because then why are you a writer what are you doing be a fucking wrestler don't be a writer like (laughs) i mean i mean interesting (laughs) choice it really works be a wrestler you know it actually really works i'm thinking of like wwe and all that you know the club because those are stories right yeah they are definite stories being written it is a soap opera right and you know will I, i i don't watch wwe Right. Uh, I did watch Glow as a child. Shout out to Glow. <laughs> um, did you watch that as a kid? Not no. as a kid. I watched the WWF as a kid, though. Yeah. I think Somehow. I watched that a little bit. I remember my great grandma was like a huge WWF fan. Yeah. Like she wanted to watch WWF. And um, I love that it was your great grandma. Yes. <laughs> oh, she was rocking it. WWF yeah. and then like the game shows, like Family. No, not Family oh. Feud. Like, um,. Wheel of Fortune oh, yeah. and like Crisis, right? But she would yeah. only be interested if there were black people on it. Well, but she was <laughs> she had an from audience. Georgia, so she'd be like, 
is there a colored person on it? Because she was very old, you know, and from Georgia. So she yeah. hadn't transitioned out of using that word to right. describe black people. So I just oh, remember wow. as a kid, she'd be like, is that a colored person on a TV? Because it was still <laughs> novel to her. Yeah. You know, it well, was still a novel idea to her. And if it was, she'd be like, okay, well, turn it up. And, you know, now she was suddenly <laughs> very interested in watching Because representation matters. It, matters. it matters. It matters. And we bring it all back. It yeah, matters. Right, right, right. It matters today. And it mattered um, then in yeah. the early 90s when this was happening. It matters to my other grandma who only wants to watch movies with black people in them nice like that's whenever she would see a trailer with a, a movie for with black people she, we already knew that's what we're going to see like <laughs> that's i had to what, take yeah. her to go to go see that movie it's so important yeah. and that's a great segue into how oftentimes you know minority characters Mm. are not served well when it comes <laughs> to being three-dimensional characters. First Absolutely. off, uh, they're usually a sidekick, yep. right? That's changing, yes. But historically, they're usually a sidekick, and then it's really um, stereotypical, like the sassy black friend or mm -hmm. the funny gay friend, you know, mm -hmm. um, the fiery um, Latina, you know, mm -hmm. things like that, that you can mm -hmm. sum the person up in two words and that's the entirety oh, yeah. of their existence. And that's the breakdown too. That's what they send out to uh, casting directors. Yeah. <laughs> it's like two words, literally. Right. Adjective and their race. <laughs> if you have characters like that in your screen, in your screen or in your screenplay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. both on your screen and in your screenplay, if you have characters like that, you are wrong. Right. Just put that yeah. out there right now. You are wrong and you need to do better because yeah. you don't know. I guarantee you don't have anybody in your life who's just a spicy Latina. No. Right. <laughs> no, you yeah. don't. <laughs> yeah. That you doesn't absolutely exist. absolutely do not have that. So, you know, do better. D draw off of the people in your own life and the people that you see and add those characteristics um, right. to the people in your script. Make yeah. them real. Yes. Make them real. Because honestly, I feel like those, um, especially with Latino and black characters, there's and gay characters, there's a reason why they're so underdeveloped. And I think it's to make them disposable, which happens a lot in these shows. You know, they're the ones that die first. They're the ones that, uh, whether it's a horror movie or any kind of show, it's always like the ones that we can sacrifice because mm. the ones we care about are the white people. Don't worry, they won't get hurt in this. It's everyone else. Right. And, and that's the disservice that you're doing. So when you're not, you know, are we going to keep following that trope of making these characters disposable when I don't think any character that you write should be disposable? I think, I, I mean, going back in my writing, I've seen myself uh, years ago, especially kind of do this sometimes where I'll write a character just because I need to justify that there's a character in this that, you know, moves the storyline along in a certain way and I'll, and I'll like kind of neglect certain characters. I would I would really focus on my leads and just not really develop some other ones and then I realize 
what are those characters? You know, I'll read back and I just realize that they are so hollow and empty and you should not have characters that are just a device to move a story along because you can tell. Yes. And then, and then when you cast an actor, there's only so much they can do too. I mean, you're really just shooting them in the face and then everyone's going to hate that character. So, so you're going to be like, yeah, well, <laughs> well, I mean, everyone's going to be like, those are the ones that you're just like, wow, they're just so bad. Look, like, I hate it when this guy comes on screen. Like, like what's he doing? Here? I have literally yeah, why are you said here? that about yeah. characters. Oh, oh yeah. Like, and why are you here? You, I don't care about you. Please get off the screen. Right. And it's so annoying. And you don't really want to write that kind of movie or show because you want people to care about everyone now obviously there's going to be favorites for different people it doesn't you know like that's up to your viewer but you don't want them to dislike a character because they don't feel like they're anything yeah. you want them to dislike the character because they do things and there's things about that character that reminds them of like oh that's that teacher i hated you know something that triggers something in them not just because like oh they're just wasting they just feel like these hollow shells wasting screen time that Ooh, You're not doing your job. I have an example of this. So yes, bring it. <laughs> I was I've mentioned before the show The Rook, where there's that like hive mind love oh, story. Oh yeah. So another part of that show is the character whose name I do not remember, but she's played by Olivia Munn. I really like Olivia Munn. However, this character was completely mm. useless to the story. I still don't know why she was there. I, I, and, and actually, I started to fast forward through her scenes because I felt like she was wasting my time. Um, right. she, just, she just showed up like for no reason. What I, I think what I found out later, I'm sure somebody can correct me if this is wrong, but the show itself is based off of a book. And I don't think this character is actually in the book. Mm. Right? So you create a character right. for whatever reason, and she has no attachment to the story other than maybe you decided you wanted Olivia Munn there, which is right. hey, a valid reason. Yeah. You know, that's a valid reason. But give Olivia Munn something to yeah. do, do other than like show up as like the American. Maybe that's why. <laughs> maybe they, because the show is British. Right. So maybe they were just like, we need an American character yeah. to. Yeah. Um, uh, so that Americans can watch it and feel seen or something <laughs> like that, you know? So they're yes. like, we'll just create an American agent, okay? Yeah. And she'll just come over here and she'll, like, have a boyfriend that has a mystery that nobody cares about. Yeah. And that's what she's doing, trying to figure out a mystery that has nothing to do with the rest of the story, except I think it did, but the fact that I don't know or care... Yeah. is a problem because I'm a really intense television watcher. <laughs> if I like a show, I will not do other things while I'm watching it. And I am yeah. the type who will rewind scenes and watch them repeatedly before I, I that, even yeah. finish the episode. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> I, I'm all in on a show. Yeah. If you get me to a point where I am fast forwarding, you have completely you failed. failed. <laughs> completely failed. And yeah. that character was like a giant fail. Another example would be um, trigger warning for those of you who don't want to hear about the hundred. So mm. <laughs> they created this character <laughs> called Finn. 
and you you have oh. not watched the hundred, right? I have I have watched. Oh, you have watched. Okay. Yes, I so, know who Finn is. Finn, I know all about Finn. Finn, who does not exist in the books. Okay. No wonder I didn't realize that. He but does now it not all makes exist sense. in the book. Right now, it all makes sense. He does not <laughs> exist in the books. But they created this character because they decided that it's the CW, and therefore there must be some like heartthrob type yeah. of heteronormative right going on for the main character. <laughs> yeah. So she has to have this like the dichotomy, right? You have the right. bad boy. Uh, which is like the Bellamy character and right. then like the good guy kind of yeah. who is the Finn character but uh. Finn was like a giant zero uh. a giant nothing his character infuriated me and you could tell that they didn't know who he was oh, what I know. he was about nothing about him made sense nothing about him was tethered to anything that was going on yeah. His character changed. His character motivations <laughs> yeah. changed. Yeah. You know, from season to season. Until, spoiler alert, he finally died. Thank God. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I always feel like, and this is something that I talk about with a friend of mine, and this is to get back to making um, characters of color disposable. Yeah. So there is a character on The 100 called Wells. You remember mm. Wells? Yeah. The black best friend. Right. Right? Yeah. Who... Uh, dies early on. Early on. Early on in season one. He was a fascinating character. Yeah. The main character's best friend. Son of the Chancellor. The, the fucking um, Chancellor, right. yeah. You know, holding this secret. Um, this really huge secret. He was holding it. and Which allowed his best friend to hate him. But he was holding that secret because he thought it was better that she hate him than she hate her mother who was responsible for her uh, father's death. Which is like, what? That's so much going on. Exactly. So much great stuff there. Followed her down to the ground. Even though she hated his guts, followed her down to the ground so that he could be there with her because he still loved her as, her, as his best friend. <laughs> that character gets killed early on. Yeah. Why? Because Why? they needed to save the white character, Jasper. Facts. This is what they said. Because they had already not killed somebody else. I don't even remember who it was. Right. And then they were like, well, we can't be the show that backs off on killing people. So, so let's you, kill the black so guy. So let's kill the black guy. That's fucking literally shit. what they did. That's so fucked up. Yeah. It makes yep. me so mad. And so anytime I think about that show, outside of thinking of the travesty of uh, Lex's death, <laughs> I think about, <laughs> wow, what if what if the character of Wells had lived? Yeah. And what if instead of Finn, who didn't even exist in the books, right. Wells was given his entire storyline and yeah. now he's actually tethered to the main character of yeah. the show. There's Which he should have been because there was like, here. yeah, there was backstory. There was all of the things you want. Right. And he was a fully realized character though. He was. So he wasn't disposable in the way that we were talking before. Right. Right. So he, he was it's just more racist. <laughs> <Right. laughs> That's the other way. For those of you just tuning in, yeah. <laughs> there's sometimes it's just flat out racism. Flat, That's yeah, sometimes. That's a whole yeah. Yeah, I mean we Fuck. like we don't need to talk. Well, mm -hmm. Yeah, let's move on from the hundred before we right. fall down that. Before we fall that, down that. That well, no, that, yeah. But, um, <laughs> no, but seriously, they should have just let Jasper die. <laughs> he became the worst. So the worst. Yes. 
they should I have met him the other day guy. at my restaurant actually and I was like should I really be nice to you? Wow. <laughs> no. <laughs> You're like, I hated your character. Therefore, right. I hate, I hate you. you. Because that's life. the other lesson, is they are the same. No, <laughs> no. no guys, characters, <laughs> characters and actors are different. Just have to put on that warning. <laughs> so, what's the opposite of, you know, 2D disposable type characters who would you say is like your favorite mm. recent um television character or not even I, your favorite recent just one of your all-time favorites i don't even know about all-time favorite necessarily right now but off the gun while we've been talking i just keep thinking about orange is the new black and how and it was the ruby rose character no <laughs> shut the fuck up no besides her how so many characters, like that show's whole motive is character development. Mm -hmm. Like what that entire show is about is digging into characters um, more than anything. So that's just kind of. And they pull an okie doke, right? Right, With yeah. how they set it up so that initially your entry point into the series is the white woman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? But yeah. that's not really the story they're most interested in telling. Exactly. So they give Which you I this love. white woman <laughs> as the lead, and she's like the most unlikable person right. on the show. But she they is. did that purposefully because they knew in order to get people in the door... You got to show them the white. You got to show them that. <laughs> and then you get to tell all these other stories once you get in the door. Yeah, brilliant. and it was brilliant, and it I and I, right, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, but I do like as far as character development, they they did really well in that show with giving us, you know, granted they they used the device of flashbacks because it's the way that show is formatted, and you don't always have that opportunity. Not every show should be written for flashbacks, but that's a great example of when flashbacks work. Right, when yeah. it's the entire format of your show. Right. And like, but it could be the format of your show and still be useless. Yeah, right? true. That's also true. possible. And in this case, because the way Orange is the New Black is structured and that it's such a confined space and experience that these women exist in as far as the prison is concerned, right. in order to inform their behaviors in the prison and the choices that they make and the people that they are within the prison, then yeah. you use the flashbacks to show where they were. Because you can't yeah. really show that in inside prison. Yeah. So it's actually a great way to use yeah. um, flashbacks. Absolutely. Do you, do you have a favorite character? Um, on television right now or that you think of? I would. I don't have one right now um, because I don't actually watch that much television mm -hmm. right now. Or maybe I do, but it's just so spread out over the years right. that it feels like I don't watch a lot of TV <laughs> anymore. Um, but I'd say one of my favorite all-time characters is Christina Yang from Grey's Anatomy. Are you nice. a Grey's Anatomy fan? I've um, dabbled. I've dabbled. I don't do a lot of medical shows, I'll be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not my cup of tea, but I can I can appreciate when they're good. Yeah. I mean, Grey's Anatomy has been on for approximately 100 years. Yeah. I was so. going to say, like, <laughs> since I've been born. 
So yeah, yeah it's, it's, you, you can't. Lore. I don't think you can dabble really truly in Grey's Anatomy because like <laughs> it's you, always you, different. It, it's <laughs> not even. It's not even that it's always different. It's just that it's like it's so much. You're right. It's just the sheer amount of episodes. A dabble is. You know, it's like watching a commercial, really. <laughs> yeah, you know, true. Basically, but the character <laughs> of Christina Yang is so complex, so well developed. Here you have this woman who is one hundred percent about her career. Yeah, and she doesn't make any excuses for it. You know, she doesn't suffer anybody's opinions about it. Yeah. But it also doesn't limit her from growing as a person and creating connections both expected and unexpected and you get to see her grow um as a person over the course of a decade you know you get to dig into her understanding what it is to have a true friend or what it is to fall in love and what are the things that happened in her past that have informed the type of physician that she is currently? I just, I don't even think, I think, I feel like I could write an entire paper on <laughs> Christina Yang. When she left Grey's Anatomy, spoiler alert, I guess, I don't know. When well, she I don't le- think I mean, at this point. If it you're is. watching like, you know, Killing Eve and you know that Sandra yes. is no longer on right. <laughs> Grey's Anatomy. But when she left Grey's Anatomy, I felt like my friend was leaving. Hmm. And that is how you build a character that yeah. connects with people. I missed Christina Yang like I knew her, like she was yeah. real in my life. And I was like horrified. I was terrified, rather. So, you know, they kill a lot of people in Grey's right. Anatomy, and Shonda Rhimes likes to rip people's hearts out. <laughs> so I just remember distinctly, like, being like, please, Shonda, please don't kill please don't kill my friend Christina Yang please just let her <laughs> please just let her ride off into the sunset I don't know if I can get over it if you yeah. if you kill her and so you know she's leaving and I, I've watched that episode with such anxiety <laughs> like please just make it to the end and you know they did a whole fake yeah. out where they made you think that maybe they were going to kill her because they're oh rude right. <laughs> they're rude like that but you know she survives and she's off living a great life but that's always for me and my writing my bar can i create a character that somebody else is going to feel about like i feel about christina yang like she's someone i actually know and exists in the world that's the goal for creating a character is this person real do you know her or him i guess we write about we write about men sometimes too (laughs) (laughs) don't get too excited man no no but it's it's very true i feel like also, you mentioned Killing Eve, and then I realized that's a, that's one oh that I have so many feels for that I love, in love with those Eve. characters. God, like, and see, that's the thing, too. I mean, I've never seen, like, a flashback of Eve's character or too much backstory verbalized, but I still know she's a full person. I still watch the things she does and I'm I'm surprised but I'm also aware of like what's in character and what isn't like even as you watch the show you could see her going down a certain path mm-hmm. and and, and it it's making sense. sense exactly it's making sense it's not like there were there's so many ways they could have screwed it up they could have just for shock value done things a lot sooner or quicker or different but they 
they let the characters grow and like you were saying about Christina Yang like like growth in general like growing with characters they should be growing so you can grow with them mm-hmm. they shouldn't be like a fixed thing like yes there's backstory but that's like anyone that's your past right but from the moment that that inciting incident happens and starts the story they should be evolving if they're not evolving your character sucks because everybody even everybody changes a little bit right in some way and you have to want to be there for that ride and show them because it's a difference between you know a an old cartoon and a a series is you know like yeah in in a lot of cartoons that don't follow a narrative it's like yeah they're the same character always they're gonna wear the same outfit they're gonna do the same thing and it's just all about the actions the trouble that character gets themselves into that is not the model you should follow for a narrative series there should be we shouldn't just be like oh yep that's old jim just (laughs) doing the same thing jim in season one is jim in season six if he is like oof like that's rough because how is that character just stunted and in the same place now that's also not to say that it's just linear because people people backpedal people go through issues people have triumphs and then fall back into like their old stubborn ways like they you know there's there's a flow to humanity it's it's a lot of psychology basically (laughs) character development is just like being a psychologist for all of your creations. Yeah. Where you're like, you have to really want to dig. Yourself. Yeah, and yourself. Yeah, that's you ha- what you're really digging into. Right, you. <laughs> the different sides of you. And and why why would they do that? Well, why would you do it? You know, you have to like really, uh, I mean, for me, a lot of my writing typically comes from something that's happened in my life. So, character development is extra important because I have to constantly remind myself not to write autobiographies Mm. because first of all that's not what I my intention my intention is still to write fiction and it's okay to have people in your life and things you've gone through influence things I mean it's supposed to be like that's what the life experience is but influence is different from just writing a carbon copy of a person that you knew like you know just make sure that it's not that you're not phoning it in yeah that you're not just assuming and I mean with this with the project out in love that's like a big thing it's about my life so when we were um when I was writing out the script I mean Alicia would remind me like you know know these characters well and make sure you're developing them because just because I know how a story goes and and I knew these people, the world doesn't. And I need to make sure that I'm creating something that people can understand and not just, you know, uh, kind of making these shell characters because I'm telling a story that's so close to me. And it's harder when people are close to you to separate that between like what's a character and what's a memory, you know? Well, speaking about Out in Love, I know in particular you received really good feedback as far as the relationship between Mm -hmm. um, the character of Karina and the character of Sergio. And that was the scene that was submitted to women making a scene. Yeah. And uh, do you want to explain your process for 
building that scene and yeah. making those making those characters seem like lived in. Right. Well, so with that scene in particular, um, the scene occurs, you know, in the character's home, um, and it's kind of they're getting ready to go to an event. Um, and so there's, so I already knew like, okay, I have basically five pages <laughs> to showcase who these people are, what they mean to each other, um, what their dynamic is and give no expository lines for exposition's sake, because I kind of hate that. I just, I don't like those lines that you just have to say just to establish something you have to kind of sneak it in there Mm -hmm. and I feel like that was you know they're they're married and I'm like okay well how do married people act and I'm like I know in my personal experience you always know when you've been with someone married or not for a long time you know where their things are more than you know where your things are even like around an apartment you know just anything it's like you, you if you live together it's kind of like hive mind in the sense of my husband could ask me like, oh, where where are my pants or where's this one thing? And it's like my brain's like tunes in. I'm like, oh yeah, you always leave it right here by the sink. It's by the sink. Like I just know. And for some reason, I'll know where his stuff is more than where I know where mine are. It's weird, but he can, It's. It, it, I don't get how that works, but I just remember that. And I remember how, you know, when we'd get ready for something and that hecticness, you know, there'd always be just like calling out things and like, oh, I can't find this. And then there's also just the little things that you do for each other when someone means something to you. Um, And I wanted to write that into the scene. In the scene, like he makes her, he has her coffee made for her. Which is my favorite part, FYI. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I know. People love that because that's such a, and I mean, coffee is my love language, so... (laughs) So basically, if I buy you coffee, make you coffee, do anything with that, that's like, I love you. (laughs) And I, I feel like that's such a gesture when you know, and when you are with someone, you care about them so much and you know what it'll mean for them to have that moment of the thing they like, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what you took the time to do. That already shows that you're not, okay, these two characters don't just know each other. They're not roommates. Right. Right. And, and that's already, again, it's doing the work for me to establish who they are. Or even the, if they were roommates. Right. right? Even if they they're were very roommates, loving, yeah. They know each other and they love each other. They care about each other. Right, exactly. It, it's creating those moments that build that out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I especially wanted there to be a lot of affectionate gestures between them. I mean, there's a moment where, you know, he tells her like make sure you you know because she's feeling a certain way and he's like make sure you drink some water he like gives her a kiss like there's there's this like caring that's Mm. beyond romance even right and that develops usually in longer relationships you know um it's not just lusty and flirtatious if i wanted to show that that whole scene would be different there might be more you know like trying to keep a sexy persona with each other there'd be less of like hey babe where's this you know like that's not hot you know there'd be more of you know trying to keep some mystery but here it's like they're very exposed to each other and there's a lot of like that nurturing of caring for one another's well-being and I, I felt like I wanted you know I'm establishing a warm relationship it maybe if it was a different kind of marriage I'd go a different route 
um, maybe not have them show a little bit more distance, um, not have those kind of affectionate gestures, maybe some more biting comments towards each other, the little passive aggressiveness that mm-hmm. can happen in marriages. Maybe I'd do a little bit more of that. But um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's the approach you have to take to, and this is why you have to know your characters, because on set, you know, now from like a directing standpoint, um, your actors need guidance. I mean, you have to be able to tell them why they're doing what they're doing. Um, when you're working with them, whether it's in rehearsal or on set, I mean, when I was working with Pedro and he was acting as Sergio in this scene, you know, there were a lot of nuances to what happens in this scene. And if I was just like, hey, Pedro, I mean, I don't know, why do you think he's doing it? <laughs> Figure it out. I mean, that's that's rough for an actor because yeah, they could do their own work, but it's so much more uh, helpful and rewarding when they feel like, okay, they're doing justice to the work and everyone, and when they feel like their director knows what's going on with these characters, because I have been on the other side of it many a times where it's just kind of like you're there, there's some gray area in a scene, uh, in the writing. And you know, you, you'll look to your director and just be like, okay, so why um I noticed like it's seeming like she's acting really cold and is that because you know she doesn't want to show a lot of emotion or she's shy or is it because she hates this person you know you ask all these questions and the last thing you want your director to say is uh whatever feels right (laughs) and a lot of people say that Yes, and it's the worst thing to hear because once you pl- plant like a seed of doubt in an actor's mind, that just grows the whole time and they start to feel insecure and doubt what they're doing and it all starts to fall apart. Because again, like we've mentioned about character development, motivation is a big uh, part of the, de- the development, right? Like the why a character is doing something. And the director, has to give you that same motivation like why the why is so important and and to acting out something and doing it justice so the more question about that yeah sure so as an actor i'm trying to see like where is the line between doing your own character work right in your own homework um along with the director instead of just the director telling you as the actor what the motivation is because it's a collaborative experience so for me as a director I don't want to tell you necessarily the actor everything everything the why I want to collaborate like what do you feel let's talk about it Sure. You know, which is not the same thing as, you know, whatever feels right. Like that's right, not, right, right, right. Yeah. Know. No, it for sure is uh, or should be collaborative. And there's there's just so you always, you know, the director typically will have a vision. Uh, they'll take the work and they'll have a vision to how they want the scene to play out and the way that they've interpreted the work. Right. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it's typically their vision that's, you know what we're going to shoot. Now, as an actor, it doesn't mean like that takes away all of the approach from you. You can still have, you know, someone can still tell you, for instance, okay, in this scene, 
We want you to really hold back. Don't give all of your emotion up front because you don't want your lover to know how you feel yet. Uh, You're keeping that to yourself, right? You can know that information and Mm -hmm. then add to it as an actor and be like, well, why? And then you could just do the character work Mm -hmm. of, okay, well, this reminds me of, you know, I've been hurt before and the reason I typically hold back is because I fear getting hurt again. So then you start putting that into that direction and then that's where the work starts collaborating. You as the actor can give related points. You can think and come up with a reason, a a specific like detail of why they're doing that. But it's not like, okay, let's say the action in the script is something like, the character saying lines and you're lying, uh, the character's telling you I love you and you're a character doesn't respond. She's just not responsive, right? She doesn't say anything. Now on a script, that doesn't give you much. Like, why isn't she talking back? Why isn't she saying anything? That's why you need the director to tell you because you as the actor too can come up with a million different reasons and then that's too broad and that's too much. You need the director to exactly that, direct you a certain path And then you can start filling in the blanks because as an actor, you for sure should be collaborating. Okay, you should not be, you know, just like a little empty puppet just because then sad phrase. (laughs) Right. Empty puppet. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, most actors I know who are passionate about acting like they love the part of character development and character work. They love that collaboration. They love rehearsals for that reason too, of like talking these things out. They crave it because you wanna do you wanna do a full performance and you need to know what's going on with those characters and you do need the guidance though, the parameters. That way you're not getting to set and bringing an energy that's totally off to what this director's vision is, where they're just gonna be like, whoa, is that a British accent? Sorry. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking about. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sorry, guys. We will tell you that story one day. Not, one day. Not, not today. right now, but one not day. Not today. <laughs> but yes, but you know, you wanna make sure, you know, it's good to take risks and try things, don't get me wrong. There are, but there are times to take the risks and try things, which is why it's good to and There are times collaborate. when people disagree on whether the right. risk is good or not. <laughs> right, right. But that's why the character work helps as an actor, yep. as a director, and as a writer, because everybody needs to know the reasons why they're doing what they're doing and, and justify it. And that's how you keep from making weird choices, too. Mm-hmm. Because if it's in the writing, first of all, you're already guiding the director and the actors, you know? Right. That's, that's step one. it needs to be first. Right, yes. Yeah. That's step script. one. <laughs> exactly. Step one, right? And then, you know, if your director has a vision that they can uh, uh, show the actors, like, here's what I see as this story, that gives the actors, like, you know, the roadmap. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the actor takes their part of like, okay, so here's the roadmap. Here are the actual words. Now, what's all of this that I could drum up as my subtext? Like, what are all these feelings in between? And then it'll make sense. Without a roadmap, without a good script, like, they're just blind. They're just blind out there. And they're just going to, most of the times, not even take risks. Most of the times, those are those safe performances you see, those like flat performances where, 
you're like, why are they delivering these lines like they're cue cards, you know? And it's because they had no roadmap. They had not not enough character development in the script. And these actors are just kind of left where they're like, okay, I'll play it safe. That way I don't get fired. You know, I'll mm-hmm. just, because most people, most people will not, go like the other way most people are not going to be like well I don't know what to do so I'm just going to go crazy (laughs) like that's typically I mean that would be more fun to watch but most people say I'm just going to keep this really neutral because that way you know since I don't know what's going on I'll just do this until someone corrects me right and half the times on these sets and a lot of indie sets you know I it never gets corrected there are many times I've been on you know, as an actor or, or watching other performers and the director's just like, yeah, that's it. Okay, move on. Next thing. And like, they're just worried about like, so disconnected from the actual story. Yeah. Is that, is that it? Do you think we're more concerned about the technical aspects of directing and forgetting the other parts of it? Yeah. I feel, I feel like there's a lot to be said. Um, the tech stuff I feel like when on small, uh, lower budget shoots, usually you have uh, you don't have as big of a crew, or as much support, or as much prep work sometimes. So I feel like people end up wearing multiple hats, mm-hmm. and that distracts the director because they're not able to just focus on directing. A lot of the times they're focusing on like uh, you know they're like they're moving lights, they're they're places they shouldn't be, which is why film is meant to be this huge collaborative thing, because every job is very, very time consuming and important, and you need to be able to just stay in your job. That being said, a lot of times it's not knowing what you want, and I gotta say, you know, I don't know, I, I just gotta say, Speak not everyone should, not everyone should be a director. Hey, there I it is. feel, I feel like a lot of people go to film school with, uh, you know, not knowing a lot about film, and the first thing they say is like, I want to be a director. They're just like, it's like that's the big title you hear about, because that's you know the job that most people talk about, you know, uh, Academy Awards, all these things, best director, you know, like it's it's saved towards the end. It's like the big trophy winning uh job and so a lot of people come into it and and they don't even know what it takes but they're like i'm gonna direct or then sometimes too just it's an art yeah yeah a lot of people think it's just like it means everyone does what i tell them great (laughs) that's not you're a leader and anytime you're a leader that is worse than anything. I mean, you have to want to lead people. You can't say, I'm going to lead this, and by the way, everyone figure it out. <laughs> like, good luck. Right. I'm just going to say I'm the leader, but I just don't want to tell make... everybody what to do. The right. What, the what is not important. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just that you do it. Right. Didn't and I there's tell a... you to stand there in that light? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And, there's, and honestly, I have seen a lot of, you know, people direct who... maybe that's they'll figure out that that's not for them because you can't be insecure about it on set Mm -hmm. you can't because people look to you it's like a captain of a ship you can't just be like we might drown (laughs) and everyone like knows too and you're just like oh god raise the sail i mean maybe why raise it we're drowning (laughs) yeah like Ooh, there's a storm today yikes Yikes. i did not check the weather i mean you, you can't because everyone's looking to you everyone's looking to you and while it's collaborative 
don't get me wrong, in order to collaborate, people need to know what their role is and what right. they're supposed to be doing. You can't just have this mess of like, yeah, it's free form here. It's very like, yeah, it's you know, you just, up. right. It's not <laughs> a co-op. Yeah. And, and you need, and people respect decisive choices. Even if you don't like the choice, it's much easier to go, you know, just be like, well, at least this director knows what they want. Yes. And that's also easier to... Decisiveness is important. Right. Right. And then it's also easier for people to decide if they want to work with you or not or be on your production because, you know, maybe the way you direct or your vision isn't something that someone wants to participate in or maybe it is. But if you're unclear, people won't know what they feel until the day of. And then everyone's just very frustrated and just kind of like, what's going on here? Yeah. yeah. Like... (laughs) Yes. Filmmaking is super fun. Yay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, if she didn't sell you with that one, guys, uh, no, don't get her is. brochure. Filmmaking is fun if you're passionate about it. If you don't care, yeah. if you're not passionate, like, I don't oh my know God, yeah. why you would do it. Why are you there? Like, yeah. Because you're just, you're waking up hella early to get on a set to do, like, manual labor because you can't oh, afford yeah. anybody else to do it on your feet all day everybody yes is working as a team but it is hard work it's physically demanding and it's mentally demanding regardless of whatever your job is on that set you know so and you're not getting paid for it yeah right most times especially if you're an indie director indie filmmaker this is your side gig so yeah. you've already worked your 40 hours oh, that yeah. week and now you're like and also I'm going to make a movie on the weekend like come on if you're not um, jazzed about this if you don't wake up in the morning thinking about it and go to bed at night thinking about it thinking about story in some way and how you can bring these things to the screen in some way yeah. most likely this ain't it for you right you know there and I are mean, lots of other things you can do yeah and, and there's there are endless different roles on set and pre-production and post. I mean, directing... A million. Is, the, between right. the two of us, we're doing half of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and honestly, directing becomes such a go-to that I'm like, why, don't just say you want to be a director, especially if you've never directed. Don't just assume you're going to want to do it. Because the thing about directing as well, it's just how we're talking about character development. That goes for the entire, that's story development too. Yep. Because when people, when you are on set, if you tell someone to do something, and this is both the actors and technical, because it should all marry together. Because even if technically you are speaking to your DP or someone and worrying about, and you're like, this lighting is wrong, you need to know why it's wrong. Mm. People can't follow, again, motivation is like the key principle in this whole episode if you can't tell someone the reason why you want something why would like how are you they gonna get behind that it's very hard you know like uh, people your crew they're not children you can't just say because i say so like that does not work (laughs) people do it but it doesn't work because you want that's where the collaboration comes to play you want people to want to give that vision, to want to be a part of your vision, but you have to tell them what your vision is and why. You can't just be like, yeah, I just want to blast this person with light differently. Uh, I don't know, just because. like, right, yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. What do you want? Right, you you need something. Yeah, (laughs) you need to be able, right, you need to be able to say, or if you have a certain visual aesthetic that you want, you know, you can't just be like, 
oh, so this scene, I want it to look really like like the Matrix, you know, like that vibe or something. Let's say you say something like that out loud <laughs> to someone else, right? Please be prepared to say why in this story that needs to look like that. Because if not, if you can't connect your own dots, <laughs> nobody's really quaint. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you don't, because directing is not about your ego and just throwing oh, bullshit out there, and good. it's not. That's what yeah. you say. <laughs> well, that's well, what you say. That is not. Um, it's not what always a lot represented. Of people think though. And I here think, like, I am saying, to tell the truth. That's yeah. what, as you start, at, like, burr, 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 burr. Let's try that again. <laughs> yeah. The way you started this conversation, this piece of the of the podcast was about people getting into directing for the wrong reasons right. and yeah. that's that is it right there ego ego yeah ego ego they just want to run the show not be questioned have it be like about them and the ironic thing is they don't even know what they want so what is that i mean honestly i see fire. right i see two types of directors typically it's like the over ego or then the meek person mm -hmm. who is afraid that if they tell you what they want that would be egotistical and then they'd be like no well like what do you want to do it's yeah. like sweet sweetheart please <laughs> sweetheart <laughs> yeah maybe yeah, don't right. call anybody yeah, yeah. sweetheart <laughs> yes like don't do that true I yes. mean, as someone yeah. who had to be coerced <laughs> into directing, um, the last short that I did, I didn't want to direct that project. I uh. ended up directing it, I think I've said this before, under duress because yeah. my director, um, I I had to fire her because she wasn't right. doing what she needed to do. So intense to have to suddenly direct. Oh, my God. So I ended up directing... Um, and taking on what I think is not my strongest set of skills as a right. director. Now, as a storyteller, I got you. Like, but as yeah. a director oh, yeah. dealing with cameras and lights and all that stuff, meh, I'm not really into it, you know? But right. I wrote the story and I wanted to see it see the light of day. So I stepped yeah. in to direct it. <laughs> and, you know, to piggyback off of what Christina was saying about either being the person who is only there for ego and you want to tell everybody what to do versus right. being the person who is too meek and doesn't right. want to tell anybody what to do because you don't want anybody to think that you're like, right. I'm the boss, you know? Even though I felt um, a tad bit underqualified at the time to direct my own work, <laughs> which is ridiculous, right? As I'm that saying, is. but I, I, <laughs> yes. that's how I felt though at the right, time. Right, right. And I still went on set knowing what I wanted, yeah, and being able to express that and saying, "Hey, this is the shot I want," you yeah. know you know do, am i really into lights and all that stuff no that's why right. i had an excellent dp so yeah, i could tell him what i felt your thing. yeah what I, this is what yeah. i feel this is kind of the look that i'm going for okay and he's like all right cool we can do this we can do this how does that sound yes i like it that's but your that's, job that's direction <laughs> yeah right? is to tell yeah. people hey this is how i'm feeling this is what I want, this yeah. is the idea, and then they use their expertise to say, I got you, how about this? And you say right. yes or no. That yes. is literally directing, a series of yeses and noes and 
for what Absolutely. people are telling you. If you can yes. do that, then you can direct. <laughs> right? For sure. <laughs> and you have to be able to do and but but like like Alicia's saying, like she went in knowing what she wanted. And that is literally half the battle because if you already start from a place where you know what you want, it's going to be so much easier if people give you option A and option B to be like, it's option B. If you don't know what you want, you live in that gray area of like, um, which do you think? And no one just, that just starts a chain of failure for everyone because it's like passing the buck, you Mm -hmm. know, where you need to make this choice. Failure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's true because it's like a domino effect. You ask someone, well, I don't know about those two options. What do you think? Then they start to have to have some kind of doubt because they're like, well, I don't know. I I'd go with this, but unless you want this kind of thing, let me ask this person. And it's not my job to know which one. It's my job to give you options. And then you know which one. Exactly, exactly. I mean, with everything that you have to deal with as a director, from approving wardrobe, the uh, light choices, um, the, the blocking, every, just there's so much at play mm-hmm. that if you are telling everyone, I don't know, what do you want to do? That's... Lord have mercy. You it's going to be the worst film right. ever. Because as you know, on set two, it goes by very quickly. Mm-hmm. You lose time very quickly. And, all and of not those to li- belabor this point, time literally is money. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're dealing, for Out in Love right now, we are dealing with a very tight shoot schedule where everyone would love if I could give a third day, but I cannot. So what's that set going to be like? It's going to be tight and it's going to have to be very concise and everyone's going to have to be on the same page. And how do you do that? You know what page it is that you want to be on. Mm -hmm. And then you tell everyone, turn your books, if you will, (laughs) to page 18. (laughs) Here we go. This is what we're doing today. And then that already, you know, it because set morale is a whole thing too if you start with a vibe of uncertainty and a frazzled feeling people can feel it you know people feel the vibes and they start to feel like they should be unsettled and frazzled yeah but you know it's 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 kind of like how they say you know if a plane has turbulence just look at the flight attendants and if they're not freaking out like it's probably okay right like yeah it's basically everyone looks at the director if the director's not panicking people are like okay okay i guess we're fine i guess we're still good we're good right ship is running smooth all right yeah yeah so you have to be you have to have that strength you have to have the strength to be able to take on little little problems, to know that you have other paths, other plans, to think on your feet and to hold it together for everyone. And if that all sounds like a lot, <laughs> then, you know, either A, you know, accept that it's a lot and if it's still your passion and if it's still something you wanna do, try it out, direct as many things as possible. Um, even like, just any, if you're in film school, direct your friend's shorts, just volunteer to be the director to see more like what that's really going to be like. Um, and, and keep at it. You will get better too. Because also I feel like we talk about writing a lot on this show. We talk about uh, the process and directing and acting. But, you know, I just want to remind everyone that it is a journey. Just like our characters are going through a journey, um, there's growth. So there's no like, okay, if you're not starting at this level, that means it's not for you. No, there's, you know, you will grow. It's a craft. Yeah, it's a craft. Exactly. You have to work at it. You have to study it. You have to practice it. 
for that sure. You can't just be like, oh, I'm just going to show up and <laughs> my yeah. Oscar appreciation. Right, right. That's not going to happen. So, yeah. you know, get your get your reps in, as they say. Yeah. I know um, I want to bring up two things. The first is that I remember, I think I was reading this article about Maggie Q, who was a star of the last version of Nikita that was on the CW. Nice. And something she mentioned, which I think is very relevant to what you were saying as how you come on set as a director and how people are looking at you yeah. to steer the ship, but also to modulate the environment as a whole right. and the energy yeah. on the environment. And she said how she learned very early that if she's having a bad day, you know, she's the star of the show and she's the producer mm-hmm. on the show. I think she was producer on the show. Um, she understood very early or she had to learn very early that if she's having a bad day, everybody is having a bad day. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so she had to make sure when she came to set, whatever was bothering her, she left that out of the, set. the door. She yeah. left it at the door. And when she walked on that set, she checked in with everybody. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, how's it going? How's this? So on and so forth. And she's like, did it require a lot of energy? Yes, it did. But she also knew that putting that energy in was for the betterment of the show as a whole. And that's kind of how you have to think of it as a director. If you're having a bad day, everybody on that (laughs) set is having a bad day. That is your responsibility. And if you want to hold that responsibility, great. If you don't, you know, like we were saying, maybe do something else, you know. And the other thing is I was listening to this podcast that I've mentioned before, the writers panel. And it's mostly or it's all with um, screenwriters and showrunners. And the showrunner on television is the equivalent of the director in film, basically. and this particular person, I don't recall who he was, but he was saying how, you know, he, as a showrunner, you have one billion things to do and everything is your decision. Yeah. And he, you know, just remembers somebody coming up to him and being like, so which one of these hats should the character wear in this scene? And he's like, in his head, he's like, I don't care what hat this person, like, it is not relevant what hat this person wears. But he picked the hat because he's like, I understand that they probably spend hours picking out a hat so that they could bring it to me and show me what they'd they'd chosen and so that I could make a choice. And that it would be a slap in the face to that person to then say, well, I don't know or I don't care or you choose. Wow, yeah. You know, which is exactly what you were saying. Yeah, that's actually a really, really good point, honestly, because that that is so true for this whole thing is if you're remembering that it's collaborative, that everyone is putting so much work into it in their own department. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you cannot be dismissive. That's the worst thing. And I and I you have to make choices because people are really going through a lot. And even if it's especially for wardrobe and stuff like that, like even if it seems like, oh, which belt, you know, like it might not with the the many things on your brain about what needs to happen that day, it might seem insignificant. But making anyone feel insignificant about their choice, morale goes down. Yep. You know, and morale is the big, the big thing on a set for things to go smoothly. Because if everyone feels like valued and safe 
And, you know, you're asking people to work long hours on film sets, on TV sets, long hours. Uh, and you, if you don't want a mutiny on your hands, if you want people <laughs> to actually not just be phoning it in, I mean, um, my, my great friend, uh, she works on, I've mentioned her before, I think she works on reality TV a lot, or she'll, you know, work on some not great content as a uh, sound mixer sometimes, and she worked, uh, she's on our team actually, and she worked on the scene that I uh, submitted to Women Making a Scene, and she did sound for us, and after being on that set, she was like, wow, I, uh, I forgot how good it feels to, to actually be a part of something that you care about Ooh. or that you want to be doing. She's like, I, I do this for so many hours. And granted, you know, like I didn't have any financing for that scene. Like she wasn't even paid anything, you know, and yeah, she's a she's a great friend. But still, you know, she put in the labor to be there. We were there for hours that day shooting that scene. And she was so stoked. She was like, I can't I can't wait. To, till the pilot to like actually be on something she's like it changes it reminds me of why I do like filmmaking right. why I like all this when and, it's not and just the job like because it can right. become a job I mean if it you're can. getting paid for it like you know right. she's lucky enough <laughs> yeah. to be getting paid yeah. to what she does <laughs> yes. but just like anything else it, be, it can become a job Right, that you yeah. Are disconnected from you're just checking in and checking out. Yeah, and uh, and on, in a lot of these big sets too, like the morale is really low. And she's told me like it, some bad stories too. And you just kind of everyone's over it. And all that the crew talk about is like how they can't wait to just not be working on this. Mm. That is not the set you want. You know, you want to do everything in your power to make sure that people want to be there that they feel like they matter and that you're all collaborating together so that when you need them to work these hard hours they will they will have your back mm -hmm. and be there for you and that's that's the humble part of being a director too is understanding that you need everyone who's on that set craft services everything everyone to be there for you i love that we started this episode talking about <laughs> creating 3D uh, characters, three-dimensional characters and character development and segue it into personal character development right, that it requires yeah. to, to be a director. I think that's a good yeah. bookend. I, I do. I, yeah, I, I agree. Think that's a good bookend. We've covered um, all development. <laughs> yes, you know, make your characters better people, not necessarily yeah. good people, but better right. people, well-rounded people, and make yourself a better person. You know, or more True. you can be a good people, a good people. You can be a good <laughs> I person. mean, you can be a good people or a good person, however you yes. identify. You decide, but make a choice. No. <laughs> make a choice. Make a choice. You know, do your best in the world, or at least, you know, go down trying or something like yeah. that. So, uh, Christina, where can the people find you? You can find me at Christina Pupo, um, and that's Christina with a K, and Pupo is P U P O, and that's anywhere you look. And you can find me at Elishia the Great, E-L-I-S-H-I-A. That's also the name of the website and where this podcast lives. And if you haven't done so yet, please follow us on Instagram, <laughs> follow us on Twitter, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. You know, leave a review if you're feeling fancy. Yeah. We'll love you forever if you do. Uh, <laughs> thank you for listening, guys. Bye. Bye.